This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. What happens is it's a never-ending cycle whereby your body craves more, you get it, then you crash. And as you take more and more, like any stimulant, your body gets used to it, the high, as we'll call it, or the energy boost decreases. So you're in a never-ending cycle, and in order to keep the cycle going, you have to have more and more and more and more and more. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to battle energy drains. We'll discuss how medication and food can affect sleep. We'll find out how to find the right volunteer opportunity. And lastly, we'll explore a hot fax summer. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products on the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and a regular guest on this show. Welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Hopefully you are the same. Robin! Yeah. So here's the thing, right? Months and months and months and months of everybody sort of being cooped up and, you know, doing their thing at home. And now we're all getting out and we're all starting to enjoy ourselves and spread our wings and go do stuff. I'm wondering if everybody like has the energy to go do the things they want to do. Like, are we all ready to do it? What do you think? Well, unfortunately, the answer is no. If you look at medical journals and you look at the articles they've written, there seems to be a trend towards people having a lack of energy. And it's to the point where no matter how enticing or amazing something is, like, for example, right now, going to a restaurant with friends or going to see a movie with your friends, people just can't get the motivation to actually go and do it. It's actually quite sad. I'm happy when I'm doing it. But for me, like, and I used to love the process of planning. I'm a world-class planner. But with some stuff, I was just struggling. Like, I literally didn't have the energy to plan which is a weird thing, right? So I was wondering, you know, I think it's clearly, it's tied to emotions, but I also think like we've changed the way we operate, right? Like our decision-making processes are much different. They've been simplified over COVID and now we're getting all the stimulus again. And I think we need to boost our energy to get back to that. What do you think about that? Definitely. And you're right. There's a massive component of this that is emotional or psychological, whichever phrase you want to pick. But all we need is to find a way for each of us to get past the hump over that little obstacle and then be back to our normal, energetic, exciting selves. Right. So you don't need to be a health and wellness expert to understand how people help with their energy levels, right? I mean, like people will stimulate themselves all sorts of different ways, right? Yeah, there's two big ones. Yeah. <laughs> the traditional perk-ups, as I call them, yeah. sugar and caffeine. Oh, I thought you were going to say cocaine. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> 
Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll go with the other white powder known as sugar and caffeine. Yep. Both of them are actual stimulants. Uh, a lot of people don't think of sugar as a stimulant, but it is. And stimulants do work. Let's not sugarcoat it here, no pun intended. <laughs> they do work, but the reason that they're an issue is the high cost of how they work. Yeah. What sugar does is it increases your blood sugar levels, and it gives you a temporary burst of chemical energy. Unfortunately, when that burst fades, your energy levels go down, but they actually go down to a level lower than before you had the sugar. Right. And what that does is it, your body recognizes that and starts to crave more. And what happens is it's a never-ending cycle whereby your body craves more, you get it, then you crash. And as you take more and more, like any stimulant, your body gets used to it, the high, as we'll call it, or the energy boost decreases. So you, you're in a never-ending cycle, and in order to keep the cycle going, you have to have more and more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that this never-ending cycle is hugely rich in calories and diabetes-causing. Yep. So there's no good long-term there. Now, with caffeine, and when you say caffeine, most people think of coffee, but it also includes coffee, tea, and chocolate. Chocolate's a big one also. Mm -hmm. The cycle's different. Caffeine, what it does is it raises your heart rate and your blood pressure to boost your energy. And the effects last until the caffeine is fully metabolized. However, just like sugar, once the boost is gone, the energy levels drop below pre-caffeine levels and your body begins craving more again, and the effect is reduced. Now, this one is particularly insidious because it also has, over the long term, it can cause heart damage, and that no one wants that. Right. Now, with any stimulant, repeated use leads to cravings, as we've talked about, and some degree of dependence. How many people do you know, I know a ton, who can't get going in the morning without their caffeine or sugar fix? I'll admit for many people, myself included, I'm raising my hand, there are times when it's mighty tempting, and I do mean mighty tempting, to reach for the thing we know we shouldn't have. But the good thing is there are healthier alternatives. Instead of your sugar source, go for something rich in protein. And what I mean here is a yogurt, a protein shake, a bar, even seeds or nuts, all of those things. What they found is that scientists looked into it, and they found that protein activates cells called orexin cells. And these are specialized cells that stimulate your neurons to release neurotransmitters such as dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine. And the nice thing is all of those promote alertness. As a side benefit, the protein is lower in calories, doesn't cause cravings or dependence, and it improves your muscle tone. (laughs) So it's actually good for you. Now, with caffeine, what I recommend doing is replacing it with spices. And the spices I'm specifically talking about here are ginger, capsicum, turmeric, cinnamon, pepper, those. Now, taking these spices boosts your metabolism and your circulation, both of which increase your energy levels. But unlike caffeine, they're good for your heart, your arteries, your blood, your digestive system, and they're potent anti-inflammatories, antioxidants, and have strong anti-cancer activity. Now, my preferable way of doing it is having homemade uh, caffeine-free chai or iced chai, and if you're looking for the best, have a never-ending love of curries. (laughs) You're having curry for breakfast? Oh, heck yeah. 
Really? Oh, yeah. There's nothing like a good dal curry with a side of yogurt or raita in the morning for breakfast. It gets you going. I bet. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I understand the chai tea. I, I guess I North Americans, you know, we, we're fixated on, on sort of sweet breakfast as opposed to savory. But, you know, other cultures, of course don't oh, yeah. necessarily have the sweet breakfast. So, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. the fun one was when, when we were in Asia, we went to Malaysia and Vietnam. And what I learned when I was in Vietnam is every morning for breakfast, almost everyone has pho. Yeah. And there's nothing sweet about it at all. It's savory. It's spicy. But they have that in the morning, just a little bit of pho. And they're working all day. Okay. No problems. <laughs> all right. Well, whether it's method to the madness or madness to the method, that's cool. You got what, it. What else can we do to help us boost our energy levels? It doesn't necessarily mean the intake of anything. Correct. I know my grandfather always used to say to me, laughter is the best medicine. And when you're feeling drained, it actually is. It may not be easy when your get up and go is got up and went yep. to see the humor in anything. But science has found that laughter is potent in this area. What laughing does is it triggers both a healthy physical and emotional change in your body. It strengthens your immune system, it boosts your mood, it reduces pain, and it protects you from stress. A good laugh can bring your mind, your body, and your mood into proper balance. It connects you to others because if you, have you ever been in a room where one person starts laughing, inevitably everyone else starts to try and figure out what's going on and then it raises the mood level. Mm-hmm. It keeps you focused, it keeps you energized, and it also helps you stay alert. Even better, it actually improves the function of your blood vessels and increases blood flow, which increases your energy level and can help protect against heart attack and other cardiovascular problems. Now, I'm not going to try and tell you what to do to laugh. Yeah. Do whatever makes you laugh. Silly jokes, weird cat videos, old TV shows, or my favorite is listening to Bob Newhart's skit, The Driving Instructor. Okay. I, I've, I've heard it a thousand times, and every time never fails to make me laugh. Bob Newhart, there you go. <laughs> so that's like, Bob Newhart is health and wellness. So even like in the show notes, for the first time, I'm going to type in Bob Newhart. There we go. Perfect. But there are some things that we can take that, that might help too, right? Not, it's not just about, you know, laughing. There are some nutraceuticals that will help us with our energy. Yeah, Definitely. One class of nutraceuticals are things called adaptogens, and these are a class of herbs that have specific properties to help your body handle and overcome stress. They've been proven for thousands of years, and the good part is it's not just little bits of stress. They help with both short-term and long-term physical or emotional stress. So no matter what's stressing you, it helps keep it in check and helps your body handle it. And by doing this, it helps boost immunity, cardiovascular health, overall well-being, and they increase your energy levels, endurance, they combat fatigue, and they enhance both mental performance and memory. There's really no negative to them. Now, some of these herbs, because you may not have heard that word before, are ones that you may have heard, ashwagandha, imperial ginseng, Siberian ginseng, chaga, and again, my, my big one, turmeric. Mm-hmm. Now, with these, I do recommend taking certified organic capsules so that you know you're getting stuff that's potent and that's clean. You do want to be sure you're getting clean product. Makes sense. So I know what I do when I'm feeling low on energy, and it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive, and that is I do a workout. Yep. And it works for me, but it isn't just me, right? It works for everybody, doesn't it? Definitely. There's 
there's no question, exercise is wonderful at that. It relieves stress. It helps your body actually produce and release the hormones that improve your mood, improve your energy, and they improve your outlook. But the big thing about it is that exercise There's really nothing it can't help you with, to be honest. There's really nothing it can't. Every one of us should incorporate some form of exercise into our daily routine to improve our health and our energy levels. But you want to ensure you're doing the right amount of exercise. Here's the part that's counterintuitive. Neither too little, well, it has some benefits, but not nearly enough to make it worthwhile, or too much can do harm. Now, the reason overdoing it can be harmful is that if you do overdo it, you could damage your body, go too far, and wear yourself out. In that scenario, you're actually using exercise to rob you of your energy. The key to exercising is to have a happy balance and to gradually increase the amount of exercise and the type of exercise until your body is comfortable with your energy level and with your level of exercise and intensity. I recommend trying to talk with your healthcare provider about what type and what level of exercise is right for you now and going forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, the one thing about overdoing it is if you overdo it and you, you injure yourself, well, then you can't exercise at all, right? Of course. So, I mean, if you're the type of personality who's going to push things, you really have to sort of scale it back a bit or you're going to find yourself making things worse. That would be my advice. And I agree with you. Your workouts can come to the point where you are so fatigued that you actually can't do anything else after. And, you know, sometimes I'll overdo it. I'll work out too hard and then, you know, I don't have the energy to walk the dog later in the day because I'm just, you know, I just need to lie on the couch. Oh, poor and, well, she gets walked anyway, so I'm just, but, but, you know, that's not helpful either, right? I mean, it will help you get sleep if you overdo it, but it doesn't help boost your energy levels for the rest of the day if you're lying on the couch from working out too much. Correct. All right. Are there any vitamins that might help? Yes, there are. There's multiple vitamins and minerals, for that matter, that work inside your body to convert food you eat into energy that keeps you going. Now, if you're eating a mostly well-balanced diet, you're probably getting enough of them. Mm -hmm. So that's not a huge concern, with the exception of one, and that one is vitamin B12. And the reason is that vitamin B12, first of all, its levels are fairly minimal in our diet. It's fairly minimal in a very small subset of foods. And then as we age or we have eating restrictions or digestive conditions, our absorption goes down dramatically. And the reason B12 is so important is that in red blood cells, B12 and iron together help carry oxygen and energy throughout our bodies. Now, as I said earlier, people are deficient in it. Most people are actually deficient in B12, but to different levels. Vegans and vegetarians are deficient due to low intake. Seniors and those with digestive conditions are deficient because they have reduced stomach absorption. There are two forms of vitamin B12, and this is quite key. There's active and passive. Active is well-absorbed and works quickly compared to passive. And passive has very low bioavailability and low absorption. Hmm. To ensure you're getting enough, supplement daily and do it with sublingual active vitamin B12, particularly in the liquid form. You'll notice that it gets into you quickly, and you can actually, in some cases, feel the results within a couple minutes. Wow. Okay. We have time for one last area to cover, and it seems kind of obvious. Uh, What about a good night's sleep? Definitely. 
none of us can function properly without a good night's sleep. That goes without saying. Now, what is important is to know what part of sleep matters. There's two major types of sleep. REM, also known as rapid eye movement sleep, mm-hmm. or dreaming sleep, and non-REM, which is also known as quiet sleep. Both actually affect energy levels in different ways. Now, one of the stages of non-REM or quiet sleep is deep sleep. Yep. Now, deep sleep is the one that plays the greatest role in energy. It enhances your body's ability to make ATP, which is the actual chemical of the body's energy. Mm-hmm. That is the actual chemical that allows energy to move through our body. Now, REM sleep facilitates mental energy and helps with learning and memory and mental energy. People who were tested to measure how well they had learned new tasks improved their scores after a good night's sleep. Now, there's also emerging evidence that getting enough REM sleep can help preserve memory and cognitive functions as you age. Now, to get a good night's sleep, you want to ensure that you're clearing your room of any potential distractions. That's your TV, cell phone, tablets, anything. And make sure you're comfortable. That is, the temperature's good, the layout's good, you enjoy your pillows, the blankets are right, and just make sure you get enough quality sleep every night. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It is always my pleasure. That was Joel Thuna. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how medication and food can affect sleep. On The Tonic. Is menopause putting a damper on the little things that make your day? Are you tired of dealing with hot flashes, mood swings, and sleep disruptions? New Roots Herbal can help you take control of those annoying symptoms so you can feel better and enjoy life to the fullest. Discover Menopeace, Maca Organic, and Sleep 8 from New Roots Herbal. They use only the highest quality natural ingredients tested for purity and potency in an ISO-accredited lab. And you can find them at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. Does the fear of losing control keep you awake at night? Enjoy better sleep on something you can control. The Supreme Adjustable Bed by Ultramatic. Customize your back, leg, neck, and lumbar positions with push-button control for relief of back pain, arthritis, and sleep apnea. The Supreme. Take back control of your life. Try Ultramatic's Supreme Adjustable Bed for 100 nights, risk-free. Learn more at ultramatic.ca. Elevate your sleep. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Adar Shah nurtured the rise of Ultramatic, the iconic Canadian brand of adjustable beds and maker of delightful wellness products. He received his bachelor's degree in engineering at Cornell University, graduating magna cum laude in 1999. After graduation, Adarsh joined the Monitor Group, a Cambridge-based strategy consulting company. He worked for them in Toronto, New York, and Mumbai offices on various corporate strategy, market entry, and merger and acquisition projects. He's a proud Torontonian, having lived here for over 30 years, albeit with a few adventurous years in New York in between. He's the father of two mischievous girls and a caregiver to his happy, healthy, and wine-loving parents. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? I'm fantastic. Enjoying the summer. Yeah, I think we all are. Even though the weather isn't what we dreamed of, I think we're all turning a blind eye to it and just doing our thing, right? Absolutely. So happy to be out of this uh, lockdown or reduced lockdown anyway. And so everybody is trying to get renewed energy to do all the things they want to do to get out and go out and about. But in order to do that, we need to have a good night's sleep, of course. And in order to have a good night's sleep, 
we need to make sure that we're not negatively impacting it, right? Absolutely. So what are the ways sleep can be interrupted or disrupted? Yes. And, you know, we often simply think about sleep as how long we slept. And, you know, we ask our partner or our children, how long did you sleep? And that's generally our indicator of how good the sleep was. Yep. But I like to evaluate sleep quality using four factors. And I may have mentioned this before as well. The factors are the start, the length, the intensity, and the maintenance. I use SLIM as an acronym for short. Okay. Well, how does that all fit together? So start is it assesses how easily you fall asleep when you first close your eyes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Length is the total duration of your sleep. That's the one we normally look at. And then there's intensity, and that's a measure of how much deep sleep you're getting. And that's a little bit more difficult to gauge by yourself. You often need a sleep tracker or or your watch to do that. Mm -hmm. And the last one is maintenance is your ability to remain sleeping and resist waking due to external pressures or or stresses. So, Adarsh, when you were talking about tracking uh, the deep sleep, how does that work? Are Are they measuring a change in our heart rate or our movement? How do those apps and tools work? Do you know? Yeah, you know what? Every company seems to have a different algorithm. I think it is controlled by your heart rate or measured by your heart rate, but I have a couple of sleep trackers and they seem to give me different times of when I'm in my deep sleep. Right. But uh, when I do look at the trackers on the same night, the total amount of deep sleep I have seems to be correct across both devices. So okay. it seems to be measuring it correctly in some way. Okay. And so there are external factors that impact our sleep, though, right? Yes. And, and one of those is medication. And, you know, if any of, of those factors I mentioned earlier, start length, intensity, or maintenance are affected, by medication, then you're not going to have great sleep. Right. But it isn't just medications that can impact it, right? It could also be what you're eating. Absolutely. There are so many foods that can actually disrupt your sleep. It's a little bit harder to figure out which foods actually help promote better sleep because the relationship between nutrition and sleep is is really complex. And we're only now starting to learn a little bit more about the gut and how it affects your total health. It's not scientific, but, you know, I find I have a better night's sleep if I curb my food intake, you know, to a certain time before I'm, I'm going to lie down and try and sleep, right? Like the later you eat, I think your body, you know, metabolizing through your sleep can't be helping your sleep process. But that's just empirical for me. I don't know if that's borne out in the studies or not. Do you find that yourself? Yes. You know, myself, I'm actually, uh, I practice intermittent fasting. Ah, okay. Uh, So, uh, you know, I try to eat early and then I don't eat again until much later the next day. And I absolutely have found that that's helped my sleep. Are you on the uh, 618? What's your schedule for the I'm on the 618. Yes. Cool. You're right. I I generally eat before 7 and I eat lunch usually after 1 o'clock. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't advocate diets, but intermittent fasting seems to be working almost for everybody who I know who's doing it. So kudos. You know, if you are not on intermittent fasting, though, and you're having difficulty sleeping, a lot of people, and this has been done for centuries, they just simply drink a glass of milk before sleeping. Yep. And that seems to really help people to fall asleep faster. Okay. Getting back to medications, what are some of the things we can do to negate the effects of medication on our sleep? Right. Well, you know, if we can... I'd like to just talk about a couple of medications that seem to be the major culprits in terms of disrupting sleep. Yeah, 
and medication, they can actually affect your sleep directly or indirectly. And what I mean by that is that some medications affect the body's sleep biology directly, while other medications cause side effects, right. you know, like having to go to the bathroom more frequently. And that's more of a kind of a, an indirect effect. Well, trust me, if you have to wake up a bunch of times to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, it can absolutely impact your sleep. I, I, I can speak about that firsthand. Go on. <laughs> so, so, I mean, the list could be quite long if we talk about, you know, those indirect yeah, sure. uh, effects. So maybe I'll just focus on a couple of the direct sure. ones. Yep. And, and not surprisingly, medications that contain stimulants are the worst culprits. They're allergy medications, they're flu medications that all contain stimulants that will affect your sleep, in, you know, particularly if you take them later on in the day. Yep. Another type of medication that could affect your circadian rhythm or your sleep cycle are beta blockers. And you might be taking beta blockers to treat high blood pressure or abnormal heart rhythms. So these drugs, the way they work is that they slow the heart rate and lower your blood pressure by blocking the effect of this hormone called adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Well, there's another hormone that's also thought to be affected by the same mechanism, and that's melatonin. Yes. And when your melatonin is inhibited, that really affects your ability to fall asleep. Okay. Last one that I'll mention that's a little bit, you know, I think our listeners may be dealing with is uh, if you've got arthritis, you might be on a class of medication called uh, corticosteroids. And these are the steroids that are supposed to reduce inflammation, not the steroids used for muscle building, you know, that, yep. Jamie, you take when you go to the gym. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, not, I'm not. He's joking, folks. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, in addition to arthritis, these corticosteroids are also used to treat lupus, gout, and some other allergic reactions. So if your dose is low, the effects are, are quite small on sleep. But, you know, if not, these steroids can disrupt your adrenal glands in the same way stress does. And as you probably know, when you have higher levels of stress, that causes insomnia and unpleasant dreams, etc. So these three types of medication are really the ones that uh, cause uh, insomnia. So what can we do if we are taking medications that are impacting our sleep? Well, the first thing you should absolutely do is speak to your doctor yep. if your medication is having an effect. You know, at the end of the day, it's a balance between the benefits of the medication versus the benefits of better sleep. And as we've spoken about a few times on this show, you know, quality sleep can have a really powerful restorative effect on the body. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really a balance. But the first discussion you could have with your doctor could be simply about timing. You know, ask your doctor if you can change when you take your medication. Right. Sometimes you have to be on a strict schedule, but if you can, you want to avoid taking the medications, particularly that contain stimulants, too close to bedtime. Okay. Another strategy you could use is to change your dosage. Lowering your dosage could reduce the effect on your body and trigger fewer changes to the hormones that control your sleep cycle. Mm -hmm. And lastly, you know, you could ask for an alternative. If something's just not working, you know, it's time to try something new. And doctors usually have choices. Yes. So, you know, an example for uh, older adults with high blood pressure, a better alternative to beta blockers could be something called benzothiazepine calcium channel blockers. So that's potentially something to bring up with your doctor. Good ideas. All right. So what are your thoughts on sleeping pills or other sorts of aids or medications that help us get to sleep? 
Yes, well, in the last three years, there's been an explosion in sleep aids and sleep pills and anything to do with sleep. It's an $80 billion industry of which medication makes up 65%. Mm -hmm. That's over $50 billion. And you've probably seen commercials for Xanax and Lunesta and Ambien, among many others. So these, these pharmaceutical companies are really trying to capitalize on the increasing awareness from consumers that they're not getting enough sleep. Right. And, you know, they're not wrong. You know, a third of us experience some stretches of insomnia, and one in 10 of us experience three sleepless nights a week wow. for an extended period of time. So it's a problem that's really quite endemic in our society right now. Yes. But um, the problem is that these sleep medications are often not the magic solution. You know, they can become habit-forming if you've been taking them for a while and can actually make it harder for you to sleep. Yes. And over time, the body depend, uh, develops a dependency on the sleep drug, and this can cause something called rebound insomnia. You know, and that's when you stop taking the medication and you get back into that cycle of insomnia. And the last thing I'll say is that even when you're on these sleep medications, they can make you do some weird things, you know, like sleep talking and sleepwalking. But there have even been reports of some people cooking in their sleep. <laughs> well, <laughs> at least you have a nice breakfast if you're sleep cooking. That is a new one. I haven't heard that. We have time for one last question very quickly, and that is if you're going to be sleep cooking, are there any foods that you could make or eat that might help you get to sleep? <laughs> exactly. All right. So if, if you can get your hands on some tart cherries yep. and create some juice, that's been known to be great for sleep. Tart cherries have an above average concentration of melatonin. And in one study, people who drank two one-cup servings of tart cherry juice per day were found to have more sleep time and higher sleep efficiency. If you're not into cooking and you just want to slice some fruit, there's another study where people who ate two kiwis one hour before bedtime found that they could fall asleep faster. Great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much. That was Adar Shah. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss how to find the right volunteering opportunity on The Tonic. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living in a perfectly healthy body. Reclaim your health, cleanse your body, and extend your life. Activation makes all this possible by providing you with the best products for your best health. Activation products can elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. No matter how old or how young you are, it's their mission to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a perfectly healthy body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to activationproducts.com and start your journey on reclaiming your health. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Success enabler, idea broker, and award-winning marketer at the PR department, Brigitte Foisy has been the strategist behind some of Canada and the world's biggest brands for over 30 years. She's also the vice president at Chefs Canada, the organization that manages our national culinary teams. And what she enjoys most is connecting people and being the bridge to successful, mutually beneficial partnerships. Welcome back to the show, Brigitte. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. For those who maybe forgot or need a reminder, last time you were on the show, we were talking philosophically about the benefits of giving back and volunteering. But today, we're going to be a little bit more practically oriented, right? Yes. I think it's time. Okay. After 18 months of Zoom fatigue and isolation and being confined to our homes, I think people are ready to reconnect. <laughs> Good. So let's help them do that. What should the key focus be on if we're trying to find the right volunteer opportunity, in your opinion? I think the key is to find a position that you'll enjoy. I think we talked about that a little bit last time and are capable of doing. It's the fit, in my opinion. So unless it is a one-time thing, it's important to make sure that this fit is right for you. So looking for something that matches your personality and your skills and your interests will just make the experience richer and more enjoyable. So I think the first step is identifying your goals and your interest, identifying the why. Ask yourself if there's something specific you want to do or achieve as a volunteer. Is it important for you to make an impact on specific social or environmental issues? Are you looking to improve your neighborhood? Are you looking simply to meet people with different outlooks or experiences? Or are you looking to try a new type of work that you might want to pursue as a full-time job later? Any of those answers are right. It's just a matter of being transparent and putting that forth. I think secondly, I'd suggest to make a list of the issues you care about. Would you like to work with women, children, seniors, people who are sick, new immigrants, animals? Do you care about the environment, about social justice, about faith, or about those in need? Once you've made that list, I think it enables you to even simply Google organization that fits some of those things that you're passionate about, and it will help narrow down the potential charities or group that will be meaningful to you. As I said before, if you hate animals, then there's really no point in going to volunteer for World Wildlife. Or, you know, if you don't like working with your hands, like, don't go give your name to build a house for Habitat for Humanity. It's about, like, looking for that interest and that passion, and I think the opportunity will be way more fulfilling. And and check, I guess, those groups' websites and see what roles they have available to make sure that you determine the following. I think, do you prefer to work alone or as part of a team? Are you better behind the scenes, or do you prefer to take a more visible role? How much time you're willing to commit, and what skills can you bring to that volunteer job? That makes sense. So once you sort of have your your ideas in mind, what you might want to do, what advice can you give to somebody who's looking for an opportunity? Like, where would you look to find a volunteer opportunity? I found tons of great websites, and I'd love to share a few. Sure. There's some that are really intricate and help you actually find a volunteer position in your city. Example, volunteer.ca. There's basically volunteer 
and then enter your city there. So volunteertoronto.ca or volunteerhamilton.ca. Pretty much I've Googled a whole bunch and they actually all came out. And there's a page there for groups that are looking for a volunteer. I also found other platforms like Charity Village that is very well known where you can also donate directly on their page to different volunteers, different charities. And there's also a group called GoVolunteer.ca that really their mission is to connect volunteers to nonprofit. So there's really a slew of platforms out there um, that can enable you to find the right fit. But there's also a ton of organization that post on their own site when they're looking for, for specific volunteer or reach out to, like I said, groups that are within the realm of the interest that you are looking for. Community theaters, museums, libraries, senior centers, organizations such Lions Club or Rotary Clubs, animal shelter, rescue organization, youth organizations, sports team, after-school program. Those are all, you know, places of worship. I mean, hospitals, they're all groups that on an ongoing basis, they're looking for volunteers. And I have a friend that reads the kids in hospitals. She simply went to her local hospital and say, hey, I want to volunteer and got to fill out some application, obviously, but then just simply volunteers locally. So I think it's once you know what your interests are, I think it's easy to find those opportunities within your community. In your experience, how much time should you be willing to devote or how would you conceptualize your, your commitment in that regard? I think that's really important. I think that's a good point. Volunteering doesn't have to take over your life to be beneficial. In fact, one research I found shows that just two or three hours per week or about 100 hours a year can offer the most benefit to both you and your chosen cause. The important thing is to volunteer the amount of time that feels comfortable for you and also the amount of time that you have available. If an organization is looking to have a specific position, they're estimating that this position takes like five to ten hours a week and that's not your ability to volunteer, then I'd suggest to even if that position might be fulfilling, if it's not the type of or the amount of time that you're able to offer, I I feel like that is not a good fit. So, like, I think we need to be honest with the amount of time that we can commit. Yeah, I think if you overcommit, you're you're probably spelling a recipe for for quitting. You know, like all of a sudden it becomes overwhelming and then, you know, people get embarrassed. I don't want to say I can't do this. So you just kind of fade away and and, and you don't follow through, which is probably not fulfilling for anybody and and Mm -hmm. makes things worse. So I think your advice to really think about how much time you have is good. And whenever I enter into any sort of relationship or anything that requires me to make effort, whether it's time, money, whatever, I always like taking baby steps because Mm -hmm. then it becomes more well-rounded and three-dimensional when you're in it. And it allows you to grow into the position or the thing that you're doing, as opposed to just sort of biting off more than you can chew, right? Yeah, I think it's about knowing what's expected and and being honest about what we can offer and commit ourselves. Let's talk about the things that you can do to have a big impact on the neighborhood or community. I mean, giving your time to do good and have an impact on your community doesn't necessarily need to be tied to an actual cause or group. I think there's lots of ways you can contribute to make a difference from 
helping a neighbor to donate money or actual things to fulfill a need. I'd like to take a minute to talk about those type of actions that are tied to not really established organization, mm-hmm. um, but that we can do ourselves. Like uh, one thing I really love and admire most about Canada is that we rise in difficult time. And during the pandemic, we saw people organizing food drives and community fridges and help one another. And that is a great way to give time and truly bond with others. There's no limit to your imagination here. I think I suggest you start by maybe taking a walk through your neighborhood and see the needs, like join a community Facebook group and really listen to hear the needs of those who are part of the community or have been part of the community for a long time. Talk to your neighbors. Here's a few ideas to give back. I mean, start a neighborhood walk, like security, securing the safety of your neighborhood by checking lights or things that could be dangerous for local kids. Connect with your MP in order to get those things resolved, right? Like that's an easy thing that doesn't necessarily commit like a huge amount of time and you can do it sporadically. Organize a neighborhood or a park cleanup with your neighbors or your street. It creates and cultivates a community that cares. Create and connect with a community garden. I just recently moved here and on one of my walks, I saw a group that, yeah, just took this field and created a community garden. And I think that's awesome and a great way to connect and meet new people. Start a community fridge. There's several around Toronto and other areas. Volunteer at a grocery store to help seniors do their shopping in the morning. A lot of grocery stores during the pandemic have opened at like 8.30 or, or early to allow seniors to shop in a safe environment. A lot of them have walkers or are unable to, you know, push their cart. So helping them to do that is an awesome way to volunteer. Organize a food or a book or a code drive for local school or shelter. Just, you know, don't yep. want to be the bearer of bad news, but winter is a few months away. So, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that might be a good way to also give your time, like fundraise for something local. Get kids involved. It could be anything from doing a lemonade stand for a breakfast program locally or or gathering canned foods for the local food bank. Uh, write cards for seniors at your local retirement home. Go knock on the door and ask, like, is, are there seniors here that are alone, don't have family? And you can start with your kids even to write letters and, you know, organize a choir uh, for Christmas that goes around your neighborhood and sing. I think if we look for opportunities and we really want to give time, to better our community. I think it's really easy. I think you've made that case. Thank you so much for coming (laughs) on the show today. All right. Have a good day. That was Brigitte Foisy. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss our hot vac summer on The Tonic. Recently, brothers running a successful family business gave me a call. They've been hearing my commercials for over a year. Why did they finally phone me? Because they had incompletions. Shareholder agreement not done. Wills not done. Tax planning not done. Life insurance for their business and families not done. Most people have incompletions. We complete them. Call me. I'm Mark Halpern, wealthinsurance.com. Wealthinsurance.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. 
They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Carlisle Jansen is a sex therapist and founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality store and workshop center. She's the author of two books, including Sex Yourself, and you can find her educational videos and TED Talk at carlislejansen.com, and she can be contacted at carlisle at goodforher.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm well, thanks. Always a pleasure to be here. So when you pitched the idea for today's topic... You called it Hot Vax Summer, which mm-hmm. kind of sounds like one of those like movies like Porky's from back in the day. Like that's <laughs> that's where my mind went. I don't know if yeah. that was purposeful or not, Carlisle. Nope. Nope. But that's where my demented mind went to. So we know that COVID has had all sorts of impacts, you know, over the last 18 months. How, how has COVID impacted relationships? Well, there's couples for whom some have come closer together because their issue was they didn't spend enough time together. Mm -hmm. But for many others, the cracks in their connection kind of became chasms and a lot of couples didn't survive it. And then people who are not in relationships found it really, really hard because, you know, you had to assess when you were prepared to see someone in real life and how much do you trust them? Are you prepared to sort of take a bit of a risk on them? And most of the primary dating was done online or through text, which is a very different mode for most people. Right. So you had you had bubble decisions to make, right? Completely. And a lot less in-person contact, which is hard, whether it be with friends or with partners. A lot of people were really missing that, just that physical intimacy. So I would expect now that the vaccines have rolled out, and I guess the majority of people who want them have had one shot or two, hopefully, and they're probably itching to start new relationships if they're not in one, right? Absolutely. A lot of people are feeling the freedom that now that vaccines are here, that they're vaccinated, that others are vaccinated, that it's now safe to go out, that we can connect, and that so far the variants of concern have been uh, addressed relatively successfully. But we have to keep in mind, though, that some people still have weak immune systems. Some people are unable to get vaccinated or live with people who can't get vaccinated or have maybe, you know, others who are at greater risk or people in their families or their communities are at greater risk. So, you know, it's not necessarily a free-for-all for everybody, unfortunately, but it is certainly giving people a lot more freedom to explore the way they'd like to. And even, you know, people are posting their COVID uh, vaccination status on their dating profiles to sort of let people know, you know, that they are relatively safe. That's good. I would imagine there's whole new tribes being set up, right? There are those who, who only who only want to be with people with two shots. And I bet you there's probably a bunch of people who want to be with only people who haven't had their shots, right? Completely. There are a lot of people who still believe that there's, you know, shedding of vaccines and that, you know, that, that, that people who are vaccinated are more dangerous. So those folks, you know, should probably stick with each other is my sense. Yeah, well, that's one way of putting it. So has the proverbial dam burst or are the waters rising? Like, where are we at? Is everybody going crazy or what are you seeing? Well, people- 
people are definitely going out more. They're, you know, you can now go to a nightclub, you can go to a bar, you can even go to a sex club, you can start to go to concerts. So you can meet people in social ways that you used to, or even just go on dates with people where you don't have to stay outside now, right? Yeah. <laughs> six feet apart, that you can get a little bit closer and chat a little bit more get to know people in different ways rather than just going for a walk or sitting on a bench. You can do more regular dating activities. So that's really awesome. And people are really, there. we're hungry for physical touch. And so we really want to experience that kind of connection. And unfortunately, though, that's going to come with a lot of high expectations, a lot of pent-up energy. So well, you know, we have to also recognize that, you know, just because we can date doesn't mean that every date is going to be successful or that everybody we date is going to be into us the same way that we are into them. We still need to be patient. Patient and cautious because, you know, it's not all going to happen for everybody at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some expectations that are perhaps outsized, you know, just sort of being in neutral for 18 months would, you know, Everybody, I think, has expectations, I would think. But I would also think there's a cohort of people that aren't necessarily so excited about getting back into the swing of things, you know? For sure. There are people who have a lot of anxiety about sex. There are people who are feeling depression in general, who have heightened anxiety, who have lost people who are close to them or are dealing with long COVID, or maybe their family members are dealing with that. Some people have lost their businesses that they've worked hard at or they've lost their jobs. You know, there's a lot of stress, those who've worked on the front lines, you know, and then, of course, there's people who've broken up with their relationships and aren't necessarily ready to jump into something new. So, you know, not everybody's in the same boat, and some people, it might be more of a a hot vax fall or a hot (laughs) vax winter. Yeah. And I would think there's a significant number of people who are out of practice, right? Like maybe you're, you've come off a long relationship and you just don't know how to conduct yourself in the, the new brave new world, or maybe you're just out of practice 18 months, you decided to just to take a break. Are you seeing that too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of us have more honed social skills and others of us not so much. And then, of course, all of us are a little bit rusty. Yeah. And part of that is that sometimes we, when we get anxious or we're feeling a little rusty, sometimes we just want to avoid it all and rush into things or we avoid the situation. And so sometimes we can compromise and sort of end up in a relationship that we're not really satisfied with or where we don't realize that the other person's not so into us. Sometimes we sort of go with whatever we can we can find. So, you know, we're really also wanting to start a relationship quickly because we're feeling like we want to make up for lost time, of course. Then it can feel a bit too slow and it can be hard for us to take our time and, and really feel into the connection. I think that one aspect that people may not be turning their minds to as they get back into it is the, the way that people perceive consent now and how important it is when initiating, you know, sexual contact. What does it mean in practice now? Yeah, so, you know, consent has always been important, but I think what's great is that we can really spell it out now. And Planned Parenthood, I think, is the ones who came up with what's called fries. (laughs) So 
access for freely given, right? There's no pressure, there's no ultimatums, there's no fear, you're not under the influence of drugs or alcohol. It's reversible. You can say, hey, yeah, I'm into having sex, and then like, you know what? This isn't feeling right, I want to change my mind. Mm -hmm. That it's informed. You know what you're getting into. So, you know, for example, around condoms, saying, okay, we'll have, you know, we'll have sex with a condom, and then if somebody doesn't put a condom on, that's not informed consent. That's not what you consented to. And it needs to be enthusiastic. And I think this is a really, really hard one for people that, you know, feeling like, is it okay if I do this? And somebody says like, yeah, that's fine. That's not really enthusiastic consent. And nobody feels good when you find out the day after that I wasn't really into it. And this happens in long-term relationships. This happens when dating. And so what I recommend is to say, look, Let me know when you want me to kiss you. Let me know when it's okay to touch you here. Let me know it's okay when it's okay to have intercourse. So the other person has to actively say, yes, I'd like to do this. So both of you feel confident that this is something you're agreeing to. And being specific, this is exactly what I want. So saying, yes, I'll come to your apartment doesn't mean I'll have sex. It means I'll come to your apartment. Yep. So for those who are experiencing anxieties, how is that manifesting now? What what sort of things are coming up? Part of it is, you know, people are out of practice. It's hard to ask people out. Um, You know, we all don't want to be rejected, right? That's a really horrible feeling. And some of us, you know, have more practice and are able to shrug it off and others not so much. And, you know, the studies actually show that being rejected is very similar to experiencing physical harm. Hmm. So how our brain processes it is the same as if somebody hits us. Right? And so it, it's a hard thing to deal with. And people sometimes have performance anxiety. Am I going to be able to get an erection the way I used to? Or is my partner going to be satisfied? So those are really hard, hard things to navigate. And generally, I find what's best is to just be really honest. When we're honest about what's going on for ourselves and who we are, a partner can empathize with us. And if somebody doesn't, then they're really not worth our time. Somebody who is not able to really appreciate that we're being honest and vulnerable and takes advantage of that is not somebody you want to be in a relationship with. Are you hearing that the types of connections that people are looking for are different now than they were before? Yes and no. People are more comfortable with doing online sex and texting and sexting, but really people are looking for face-to-face interaction. People want to see the person, to touch the person, to have their their physical presence. What is good about COVID is that we got a little bit better at experimenting. So we can carry that forward and we have some additional skills at our disposal. Time for one last question, and that is safe sex is still paramount, right? Absolutely. So, you know, COVID-19 is not the only thing that you need to worry about. And certainly when you're dating, you want to you want to protect yourself. In, in particular, it's, it's breath and saliva. But yeah, using condoms for intercourse, safer sex practices, for oral sex, you want to make sure that you protect yourself and your partner because, you know, any infection is going to impact you and lower your immune system. Good advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure, Jamie. Thanks. What would you like to discuss next time you're back? So next time we are going to talk about how important is sex in relationships. Well, that sounds like a biggie. Looking forward to it. Likewise. See you then. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Adar Shah, Brigitte Foisy, and Carlisle Jansen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. 
To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The July-August issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always reach out to me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.